Today I'm going to bring to a close the series that I have been in over the past few weeks. I think I made it clear when I began this series that it was going to be very short. The name of the series is Unzipping the Veil of Legalism, Seeing Through the Eyes of Grace. The objective of this series was to show us, number one, that legalism exists. It exists. It's in the church. And it brings hardships upon people that are legalistic. It brings hardships upon the families, uh, your community. It brings hardships upon the nation in very natural ways. But most importantly through the series, I wanted us to see how to get free from it, how to become liberated from all this legalism that exists. And I don't think we even realize how legalistic we can be in certain ways. The thing that I've noticed throughout this series, I've seen the crickets and I've seen the critics, right? The crickets are the ones who really don't say anything, maybe a little chirp here and there. And the critics are the ones that say everything. Nevertheless, to Terry in this series, I felt like would be like a barefooted man kicking against a cactus continuously. And so how many of you know every time you kick against a cactus, it hurts all the more, right? So today I'm going to minister through the final message in this series through a message I'm calling Jesus, our power of attorney. And what I want us to see through this message today is this. We are incapable of making perfect decisions 100% of the time. Would you agree with that? Come on, don't get religious on me now. We are incapable of speaking perfect words 100% of the time. How many of you know there are times where you've said something and you go, golly, I wish I could just reel that back in and say it a different way. We're not only incapable of speaking perfect words all the time and incapable of making perfect decisions all the time, we are incapable of thinking perfect thoughts 100% of the time. And friends, that's why we need Jesus, our power of attorney, to help us, the Holy Spirit, to help us to make perfect decisions, to chain together perfect words, and to think perfect thoughts. We need Jesus, our power of attorney to really just live life and see good days. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that a man sets out on a journey. His goal is to visit 52 different church denominations, one per week. Now I'm going to do the math for you. That means he's going to visit a different church every single week for one year. He visits the Amish church just to see what they're all about. And on his visit, he takes copious notes. He listens very intently to the sermon. And then he goes home and he studies his notes and he ponders on what he heard. And then the following week, he visits the Baptist church. And then the third week, he goes to a Catholic mass. And then on the fourth week, he visits a ministry like ours, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on the fifth week and he sees the Jehovah Witnesses. And then he makes a trip to the Lutheran church. And then the Mennonite. And then the Methodist. And then the Mormon. And then the Nazarene. And then the Presbyterian. And then the Pentecostal. And then the Seventh-day Adventist church. You kind of get that picture? 
Sounds tiring, doesn't it? Again, every time he goes to a different denomination, he's got to sit there and he must listen intently. What do you suppose would happen to that man over the course of those 52 weeks? What do you think would happen to him? He would have an alphabet soup religion, wouldn't he? I'll tell you what would happen. He would become about as confused as a blind man trying to paint by numbers. And he would be about as exhausted as a balloon-twisting clown with emphysema. It would wear him out. Why? Because his mind, our mind, your mind, my mind, was not designed for such mixture, such confusion, such contradiction. We are designed, we are made in the image of our Father. We are made in the image of God. And He wants to speak truth and He wants to speak grace into our hearts. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus said these words. He said, but the advocate. In case you're wondering who the advocate is, look at the next words. He says, the Holy Spirit. He said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, look what he says here now, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Clearly we see in that scripture that the Holy Spirit is actually our teacher. I don't think we get any disagreement about that, right? And then in a couple chapters later, in John chapter 16, and verse 13, Jesus is still talking, and this is what he says. But when he, who's he? That's that advocate he just talked about, the Holy Spirit. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you. I love that. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own he will speak only what he hears. And sometimes I don't think we take enough time, probably because we don't think we really hear the Holy Spirit. We can hear the Holy Spirit, folks. We have to quiet ourselves quite often. Sometimes he'll speak in the midst of a lot of noise, but generally his voice is more distinguishable, is more prominent when we have quieted ourselves. It's that gentle, still voice that he speaks through. And sometimes I don't think we quiet ourselves enough. We stay so busy. We stay so active. And I would encourage you just to shut everything off. Maybe if you hear with a, better with a little bit of light music, then go for it. But to begin to get in the habit of just shutting things down, you'll be surprised how well you actually hear him. You say, well, I think those were just my thoughts. Yes, that's the way it's going to come across. It's going to be your thoughts in your mind, but he's speaking to your mind. And so Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the spirit of truth, will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears from God the Father, that is. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, let me ask you a few questions. Do you possess the Holy Spirit? Because growing up in the church, I was taught if you didn't speak in tongues, 
then you didn't have the Holy Spirit. You got born of the Spirit, but you weren't filled with the Spirit. And I do not believe that. Speaking in tongues is a gift. Yes, I speak in tongues. It's a gift of the Spirit. Absolutely. But we were taught you didn't even have the Holy Spirit unless you spoke in tongues. And that put an awful lot of people under condemnation. So let me ask you a question. Do you possess the Holy Spirit? Do you possess what Jesus called him the Spirit of truth? Well, if you are a believer, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You possess the Holy Spirit. Is he your guide? Is he your comforter? Is he your counselor? Is he your convincer? Is he your fruit bearer? Jesus said that it was the role. He said it was the role of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things and that he would come and that he would lead us and guide us into all truth and righteousness. Yet all these different denominations, and I only went through a few of them, a couple handfuls of them, but all these different denominations are just all over the board in terms of what they believe. How many of you know they can't be listening to the Holy Spirit? Not in fullness anyway, because God is not the author of confusion. And when we have so much confusion within our churches, then we realize you're simply not listening to the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that why in just a moment. I want to ask you a question. Why are there so many different denominations, period? Why do we believe so differently? Why are we all over the board? Is there more than one Holy Spirit? Is there two Holy Spirits? Are there three Holy Spirits? Are there multiple Holy Spirits? No, of course not. It's because we have allowed the traditions of men, because we have allowed denominational doctrine and legalism to be our guide rather than the voice of the Holy Spirit. Indoctrination is not the same thing as education. Indoctrination declares that the matter is settled. In other words, the zipper has been zipped for the last time. The cricket has chirped for the last time. And the critic has critiqued for the last time. Indoctrination is very, very close-minded. You know what it does? It colludes with the attitude of, because I said so. It colludes with the attitude of, we tried that once before. It colludes with the attitude of, it just won't work. Education, on the other hand, is open-minded. Here's what it does. It teaches us that it's okay for new revelations to disrupt our existing paradigms. Wow, that is a mouthful right there, friends. See, that's what education does. It teaches you it's okay for a new revelation to come along, a revelation that you have never known before, you have never seen before, and it's okay if it disrupts your existing paradigm, your existing framework, the existing way you have believed forever and ever. You know how I know that's true? Because I've walked that, I've lived there. I have walked the road to Emmaus 
regarding my legalistic beliefs. I allowed the spirit of truth on this journey of coming into grace. I allowed the the Holy Spirit not to only open the scriptures, but to open my mind along this journey. I allowed the Holy Spirit to take me to the table to take me to the table and to sit with Jesus and to watch Jesus break bread. And at that table of grace and truth, watch Jesus just unveil my eyes so that I could see him in an entirely different light. And I think people stay stuck because they don't want their precious little paradigms messed with. Does that make sense? Sure it does. I allow Jesus to not only open the scriptures, But again, to open my mind, it was almost as though I said, God, just take my flip top head and take it back and take out all the stuff that's in there and transform me with this revelation of grace. This is what Jesus did. This is exactly what he did for his disciples. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49, we find these words. Jesus is about to do some talking here. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. He said, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses. In other words, it was prophesied about my coming. It was prophesied about my life. It was prophesied about my death. It was prophesied about me hanging on a tree. All of that had been prophesied. And he said, it must be fulfilled That is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Look at what it says then. It says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Do you see how this is a working of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has to open our minds. But if we're in the habit of always saying, no, thank you, kindly, no, thank you, no, thank you, I'm fine just the way I am. And I've seen this time and time again. People are just so close-minded because they're indoctrinated. They don't want you to come along and disrupt their paradigms. So they just kindly say, no, thank you. You can tell when you're talking to them in a sense that they have already tuned you out. And then Jesus went on to say, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city. What city? Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem mean? City of peace. Stay, live, dwell Abide in the city of peace until you have been clothed with power from on high. Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? The thing I re- that really jumped out to me when I was reading these scriptures, though, is the part where it says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. This is a living word. This is a breathing word. It's an active word. It's an overcoming word. It's a powerful word. Friends, legalism is defeated when we allow Christ to open our 
minds. It cannot stand a chance. It's just defeated. Did you know that that is exactly what happened to Nicodemus the night he came to Jesus? He didn't come there to debate Jesus. He didn't come there to yank the slack out of Jesus. He came because something inside of him was saying the existing paradigm I'm under is not lining up with this man who's doing miracles. This man who's preaching a different way. This man who's loving in a different spirit than I can love in. My existing paradigm is not lining up with that man. So I've got to say either he's wrong or I'm wrong. Because we're polar opposites. So Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Guess what? His mind in that encounter was opened and his paradigm was disrupted. Nicodemus discovered a truth. A truth that his heart had to make decisions with. Nicodemus had to choose that night. He had to decide, in a sense, what am I going to do with this truth? It's a crossroads. When we're driving down the road and we come to a stop sign and there's a crossroad, we have to make a decision. Do I turn left? Do I turn right? Or do I continue on the path that I'm on? Was Nicodemus going to allow the spirit of truth to be his guide? To be his counselor? To be his comforter? To be his convincer? To be his fruit bearer? Would he lay aside his paint-by-number parchments and his balloon-twisting theology long enough for Jesus to be able to step him and guide him into all truth and righteousness? Would he do that? Well, the answer is, yes, he did that. That's exactly what Nicodemus did. You say, Pastor Mark, how do you know? Because the scriptures tell us that Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, were the two people that took Jesus' precious body down from the cross. It was Joseph of Arimathea, and it was that Pharisee, Nicodemus. What? Come on. In fact, Nicodemus was the one who wrapped Jesus' body with a mixture of myrrh and aloes while preparing him for burial. This had never been done by a Jew, much less a prominent Pharisee, friends. Crucified bodies were typically left to rot on the cross. The birds of prey would come and eat their flesh. They didn't even take the bodies off the crosses. So when I was thinking about all that, and I was trying to see those vignettes in my mind, there were questions that began to develop. Why? Why did Nicodemus handle Jesus' lifeless and hideous body, his torn, his disfigured body? Why would he allow the blood of a perceived criminal to Stain his robe. Why 
when Nicodemus break the traditions of men? Are these good questions? I mean, they're simple questions, but you've got to ask yourself those questions. Why would he do all that? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, because the label criminal was not compatible with the message that Jesus sowed into Nicodemus's heart the night he visited him. You see, Nicodemus was the first person that Jesus spoke these paradigm-disrupting words into the heart of. For God so loved the world and that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I've thought about that before and I've thought, God, Jesus, why didn't you save that for a big crowd? Why didn't you save that for your speech at the temple? How about those 5,000 men and women and children that came to you. Why not release it there? Yet Jesus released it privately into the heart and into the ears of Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Nicodemus received a revelation that night of who Jesus really was. Nicodemus had discovered that Jesus truly was his power of attorney over death, hell, and the grave. Nicodemus unearthed the truth that Jesus was his power of attorney to draw him out of darkness, to draw him out of legalism. Jesus was the power of attorney over the empty way of life that had been handed down to him from his ancestors. Nicodemus' ancestors. We see that truth in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-25. I love these words. They're so precious to me. For you know that it was not with perishable things. Come on. Perishable things are things that rust. Perishable things are things that decay. Perishable things are things that fall apart. And the scriptures that Peter wrote here said, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, look at these words, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He, that means Christ, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Now, there's more to Christ than we know, right? We are learning as we go. It is moment by moment. It is glory by glory. It is revelation by revelation. And Peter is writing there that there were some things that were revealed in their time that they had never known. And friends, that did not end in Peter's day. There are things that are being revealed even in our times right now that we have never seen, we've never thought of. But the goodness of God is being made beautiful. It had been marginalized for so long. People could not see the goodness of God because they were under such a law-based theology. The scriptures say, Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. I like this. And so your 
faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Friends, that's what Christianity is about. Loving one another. You've already got, if you want to call it a ticket to heaven, I don't like that expression, but if you want to call it that, you've already got your security. That's a done deal. What are we left here for? To love one another sincerely from the heart. Next scriptures. Look at these. It says, for you have been born again. See, this is the same message that Jesus stuffed into Nicodemus's heart when he came to see him. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that was just a totally foreign concept to Nicodemus because he said, how am I going to get back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus had to draw pictures in his head about the wind and everything else so that he could understand the connection of the spirit and how all this works. For you have been born again, and then he repeats what he said earlier, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Friends, these scriptures, come on, they tell us that we have been redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us through our ancestors. That doesn't mean we have to go back thousands of years. You can go back just to your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe your great-grandparents or whatever it may be. And you find that there was so much mixed into the gospel that it just became really just an empty way of life handed down through our ancestors, handed down to us through the traditions of men, handed down to us through church indoctrination, church doctrine, handed down to us through legalism. And the scriptures right there just tell us that we were purchased out of the slave market of perishable things. How? By the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Our faith and hope are in God, not in ourselves. Our petals, oh, my friend, they are going to fall. Our grass is going to wither, that's for sure. But the word of the Lord, it says there, endures forever. Friends, our lifeless and grotesque sin and legalistic ways were nailed to the cross. You've got to see that picture in your mind, that your sin, your grotesque sin, your lifeless ways, your empty traditions were all nailed to the cross, your legalism nailed to the cross. So beautiful. We were crucified with Christ, and then we were wrapped with a mixture of myrrh and aloes by a man by the name of Nicodemus. You know what his name means? It means victory of the people. Isn't that awesome? That victory of the people was wrapped in Christ in aloes and myrrh. Victory of the people. He was named right. His name means victory of the people. 
We were buried with Christ in baptism and we were raised. Come on. We were raised. Come on. We were raised in resurrection life and power. Now I want you to listen to me carefully. Hear me carefully on this thing here. Only the grave clothes of our sin and our legalism was left behind in the sepulcher. That's all that was left behind, friends. Indoctrination is a powerful thing. It can be good and it can be bad. It just depends on what you're indoctrinated with. If one is indoctrinated with hate and prejudice, it's a bad thing. If one is indoctrinated with grace and peace, it's a good thing. If one is indoctrinated with the old covenant law as their foundation for righteousness, it's a bad thing. But if one is indoctrinated with the foundation of grace, that we come into this relationship with Christ by grace, then would you agree with me? That is a good thing. It's a great thing, in fact. So I want to ask you a question. Why is it so difficult? Have you ever thought about this? Why is it so difficult to convince a believer to forsake legalism? Why is it so challenging? Well, number one, it's because they don't know that they're under legalism. They don't see legalism in their lives. They don't even realize it. They've tuned it out. It's all they've ever known. And the ones who do, what they do is many times is they see it as obedience. That's what they do. They see it as obedience and they misinterpret the scriptures as just really sometimes a means of hedging their bet just in case grace is not enough. Isn't that ridiculous? That people would go, I'm going to follow the law. I'm going to hold hands with Moses as well, just in case this grace is not enough. So it's called hedging your bet. You're betting on the other side as well. Friends, all my eggs are in one basket. All my trust is in one man. There's nothing to go back to. There's no bridge to walk back across. The bridge has been burned. What I've seen, I cannot unsee. My faith, my trust, my grace, everything is in Christ alone. They cannot see truth many times. And even if they could see, they still refuse to forsake legalism because in doing so, they believe that it will be the evidence that their character is flawed rather than their belief system. And that's just sad if you think about it. Because I never want to look at someone and think your character is flawed. It's just the way you believe is flawed. That's all. And to be honest with you, people do not like starting over. They just don't like starting over. They have a fear that they will be reintroduced to the annoying sound of the cricket. Come on. Hey, come on. Crickets are annoying, aren't they? You ever had one in the room with you when you're trying to sleep? They're just annoying. And so to take someone who has somehow worked their way beyond the crickets, their conscience is what it is. They've worked their way beyond it where they just don't hear it anymore. It's kind of seared in a sense. They don't want to be reintroduced. And so they would just rather stay put where they're at, not have anything to worry about. They don't want to hear the judgment of the critic anymore. They don't want that reinstated in their mind. I just got my zipper zip. 
they exclaim. I narrowed it down from 52 churches to one, they bellow. I don't want to come to Jesus by night again. I didn't like it the first time I came to him, and he knew a whole lot more than I do. You know, that must have been a problem with Nicodemus that night. I'm guessing. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the cream of the crop. He was a teacher of teachers. And now he comes to Christ and right out of the gate, he realizes Christ has already stumped him with the simplest things when he said, you must be born again. I don't know about you, but even to this day, I don't like to be made to feel stupid. Do you? There's just something about that's very humiliating. Whether you're right or wrong or otherwise, I don't like that. You don't like it either, do you? I, I, don't, I really don't like that. They sing that 1972 hit from Tom T. Hall. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Come on, you remember that one too? Come on, you remember that one, don't you? Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. And we don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. Do you remember hearing that? I heard it because my stepdaddy and my mom listened to that all the time. That was 1972. I was a pretty young boy at home still. And they were playing that song all the time. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Come on, Jim, help me out. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Come on. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. And we don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. I might have to edit that part out. <laughs> You know, it just got back in my head again. It just got back in my head again. But that's true. People don't want you messing with anything because me and Jesus got our own thing going. Come on, PJ, you know that song too, don't you? Or you just like the tune. (laughs) I like the tune, he says. (laughs) Friends, it's pride. It's stubbornness is what it is. It's the very personification of legalism that Jesus, our power of attorney, wants to deliver us from. (laughs) Believers can be such rule keepers, so legalistic, that they believe that they are justified. That means what? Declared righteous, made right in God's eyes. They believe that they are justified by their adherence to the laws found in the Bible. Millions, countless millions believe in that doctrine. They can look at the scripture I'm about to show you in a second here. You can look at it, and they can look at it, and both of you can walk away with two totally different interpretations. Here's that scripture. It's Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. I love this scripture. I really do. Yet we know that a person is not justified. Come on now, let's spend some time there. Justified. It is so simple. It's a court term. Justified. It means declared innocent. Jesus declared us innocent. We are declared innocent. When the enemy starts talking to your mind and says you're guilty, you ought to feel shame. I had a person not too long ago that said, shame on you. I said, no, there's no shame on me. It happened at work. Said, shame on you. And I know they didn't mean anything by it, right? They said, shame on you. I said, no, there's no shame on me. But people can be so legalistic, they just can't see it. It says, yet we know 
that a person is not justified. He is not declared innocent by works of the law. In other words, there is no amount of community service, friends. Nothing you can do. Nothing is on that list. In fact, the list doesn't even exist. It's not like there's a list and you can come along someday and write something on there. There is no list. You are not declared justified or righteous or innocent by the works of the law, but through faith. Come on, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Now look at these words. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I don't know how you can look at that right there. I I just don't get it because it says the same thing from the north, south, east, and west, from the top to the bottom. It keeps telling you over and over again, no flesh, no person, not one single thing you can do. You cannot be justified. You cannot be declared his by the works of the law. Folks, through this scripture, we can plainly see that faith is the operating software of the new covenant. By faith, Jesus is brought up close and personal. By faith, we reach out and we apprehend his promises. We are declared innocent by grace through faith without a single contribution on our behalf. How does this miracle happen? It happens because of Jesus, our power of attorney, making decisions on our behalf. Saying, Father, when I die for them on the cross, I'm going to give them an everlasting righteousness. Father, we're going to do away with the old covenant system. Father, I'm going to love them forever. I'm going to love them when they go and do all their community service. I'm going to love them every step of the journey. Crazy, isn't it? Perfect decisions. Come on. I like it when I make perfect decisions. I don't know if I make a lot of them in life, but I like it. I like making perfect decisions. Perfect words. You know what? They are to be commended. But in light of that scripture that I just read, believers are not justified, declared innocent, made right in God's eyes by perfect Thoughts, words, and deeds. We are justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you speak five languages fluently. All right? Fluently. You speak Spanish. You speak Chinese. You speak Italian. You speak Korean, and let's throw in some Polish. You got that? Fluently. (laughs) She likes the Polish, huh? Now, I'm going to say something, and you tell me what I've said. Jesus, womenda, potenza, we advocat. What did I just say? I used five words. But what I did there is I took a word from every one of the languages, and I said, Jesus, Womenda, 
potenza, we advoca. Jesus is Jesus in Spanish. Womenda is Chinese for our potenza. That is Italian for power. We. <laughs> that is Korean for of. Advocat. That is Polish for attorney or advocate. Now, what am I trying to make a point about here? What I'm trying to make a point of here is even if we could speak all of these languages, we wouldn't speak them all together at one time because it's too much work. It would wear us out trying to do all the sorting of which language we're listening to. So even if the speaker and the listener were both fluent in all five languages, when they are all mixed together, it would become tiring. It would become confusing. Just too much work to sort it out. Friends, our minds were not wired for that much work. That's why we, we just believe in the simple message of God's grace. God's love. There's no way I would want to try to memorize 613 Jewish laws and which days I could do ones on and which days I couldn't do them on. That's complicated. That's five different languages. Every other word, a different language. Makes no sense to me. Jesus said, come on, Mary, help me with this one now. Come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I'm going to give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, I'm not going to make it so complicated for you. I'm going to make it just as simple, just as straight, just as big, just as plain as possible. It's what he did for Nicodemus the night he came to see him. It's what he did for those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it's also what he did for the man that was laying by the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, we find these words. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Now Aramaic borrowed it from the Hebrew. Bet means house in the Hebrew. Bet. Aleph Bet. Bet means house. Hezda, Hezda, Bethesda, Hesda was borrowed from the Hebrew word hesed, which means grace. Bethesda means the house of grace. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called the house of grace. Don't you love that? And which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. The very number for grace is five, friends. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lamed, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 
when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Boy, that's a simple question, isn't it? I told you, he isn't going to make it complicated, is he? He just asked the question, do you want to get well? A year ago today, I spent my last day in the hospital when I had COVID. It was a year ago today, I would spend my last full night in there. I never had a doctor come in and say, do you want to get well? Out of all the people, the nurses, all of them coming and going, not a single one of them asked me that question. But Jesus walks up to this man and he says, do you want to get well? Not only the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed lie beside the pool, but the legalistic lay there also. Friends, if you want to hold on to your legalistic views, if you want to let loose a box full of crickets in your mind, in your head, to continuously chirp at you in place of the Holy Spirit's voice, then go for it. But that's not God's will. If you want to allow the criticism from the law to be your guide, then guess what? Guess what? See, what I'm talking about is after you come to Christ, if you're going to tolerate the crickets, if you're going to tolerate the criticism, if you're going to tolerate the excuses, guess what? You're still going to reside in the house of grace. Isn't that beautiful? You're still going to live in the house. You're going to remain in the house of grace. The Father will never turn His back on you. And I said that in my opening prayer. But like the man who had been an invalid for 38 years, you know what he had to do that day? He had to decide. He had to make a decision by faith to get well. You see, when Jesus asked the invalid the question, do you want to get well? That word want comes from the Greek word thelo, T-H-E-L-O. Thelo means so much more than to just wish or choose or just kind of prefer. It means so much more than that, friends. Thelo is not the reluctant acceptance of something without protest. In the invalid's heart of hearts, you know what he had to do that day? He had to protest the lies. I'm not worthy. And there are so many people out there today that have to learn to rise up in protest against those lies that I am not worthy. I'm talking about in the body of Christ. When they fail, they feel guilty and shameful. No, they need to rise up and say, I am worthy. I'm my daddy's child. So in the quietness, I believe, of that invalid's heart, he had to wrestle with those lies of, I'm not worthy. In that moment, he had to forsake his paint-by-number parchments and his balloon-twisted theology. He had to come into agreement with Jesus, Womenda, Potenza, we advocate, Jesus, our power of attorney. 
He had to protest the chirp of the cricket and the criticism of the critic. You see, our English word want comes from the Greek word thelo. It means to decide. It means to decide. Jesus was in essence asking the invalid man to decide to get well. Because when you decide, there is a release of faith. When you make a decision, faith has been released. Friends, I want to ask my listening audience, do you decide to get free of legalism? Do you decide to get well? Friends, the way out of legalism begins with us deciding to allow the Holy Spirit, the advocate, our guide, our counselor, convincer, our comforter, and our fruit bearer, and our power of attorney to disrupt our legalistic paradigms. Do you see that? That was so simple. I thank God that the Holy Spirit led me into that about 13 years ago. I can still see myself sitting in the living room one morning and I said, today I decide. I said it in the quietness of my heart, but I said, today I decide. Today I decide to move toward this gospel of grace and forsake these paradigms of legalistic behavior that I had grew up in the church and watched it. I was born and raised in the church and I walked away from the church when I was about 16, 16 and a half years old. And I never really went back to church until I was born again at the age of 34 and a half. So a lot of missing years right there, right? But I had legalistic roots and then I just picked up. It was like I never missed a beat. Never missed a beat because this was all I'd ever known. And this is what the church was still preaching. And I preached it too, friends. And I saw God in His mercy save people. I saw God in His mercy heal people. I'm not saying you've got to have the exact message. God, like Jim and I were talking about, God honors His principles. God honors our faith. God honors our hearts. And if we're stuck where we shouldn't belong, God still honors us in those situations. You have to decide. Here's what the invalid says. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Oh, you know there's trouble now, don't you? Can you hear the crickets already? You hear the critics? Come on. Jesus healed on a Sabbath? This guy's rolling up his mat and walking on a Sabbath? You know know there's a problem going on here, don't you? The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath! The law forbids you to carry your mat. See the tin soldier? It is the Sabbath! The law forbids you to... I bet you they sounded just like that. The law forbids you to carry your mat. All religious sounding. I bet that's the way they sounded. Friends, don't think it's strange when you forsake legalism, 
when someone comes along immediately after that and tries to pull you back into condemnation. That's what the Jewish leaders tried to do to the man who had been healed. But he replied. The invalid replied. And he said, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow? Sound more like Goliath, don't I? <laughs> who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? They're just so religious. And then it says, the man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I find that just heartwarming yet amazing. I want you to make note that the invalid at the pool of Bethesda wasn't healed because of all of his perfect decisions that he had made throughout life. In fact, later that afternoon, Jesus would find him in the temple. He went into the temple later that afternoon. Jesus would find him there, and Jesus would look at that man, and he would say, now you need to stop sinning, or a worse problem is going to come upon you. In other words, what Jesus was saying to that man at that time, he said, your sin is what got you into the problem that you were in. He was just addressing it there, okay? He said, you need to stop that stuff because there's natural consequences. So whatever the man was suffering from, Jesus was just saying, stop that. Don't go back to that. Forsake that. Get away from that. Or a worse problem can come up on you. He was revealing to the man that he was the one that was responsible for his own sin. We blame so much on God. We just think God did this. God could have prevented that. No, friends. God has given us dominion. He's given us authority, friends. He's given us power. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the advocate living on the inside of us. The invalid wasn't healed because of his perfect thoughts and words. No, not at all. He was full of excuses, wasn't he? As to why he couldn't get into the pool. He said, when I try to go down, down the stairs, someone else rolls off into the pool in front of me. Now, how many years are you going to use that excuse? I've said it before. I think I'll say it again right now. If that's the case I'm, and I was there, I would have been sleeping on the edge of the pool. So all I had to do when the pool was stirred is just roll over and fall into the pool. I would have been way up the stairs. Sometimes we love our excuses so much, we put ourselves in positions where we can use them. Same thing with doctrine. We put ourselves, leave ourselves in positions where we can just use them over and over again. Friends, the invalid was healed because he responded, listen to me carefully, by faith to the man who stood beside the pool of Bethesda, the man who stood under five colonnades of grace. The scriptures tell us that the man who was healed had no idea who had healed him. Isn't that, don't you find that just astounding? Had no idea who had healed him. Through my work, you guys know I have a job outside of here, right? And I spend all my time talking over the phone. And 99.9% .9 of the people that I talk to, I will never meet in this world. Maybe in the life to come, hopefully. And it is my role as a salesperson 
to convince the person on the other end to make decisions that will better them financially by owning the product that I sell. And I reached out to a man this past week. And when he came to the phone, he could see my name on his caller ID. And he said, Mark, he said, you have, this is exactly what he said. He said, Mark, you have 120 seconds to convince me why I should buy your product. That was the first thing he said. And before I could even get a breath out, he says, do you happen to know what your name means, in, biblically speaking? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, what does it mean? I said, well, it has a double meaning. It means warrior, and Mark means evangelist. He said, okay. We had a 30-minute conversation, and most of that conversation was filled with asking me questions about the Bible. He said to me, what is your favorite scripture in the Bible, Mark? I said, it's Hebrews 10, 14. And what does it say? I said, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are made holy. And I told him, I said, if I die before my wife dies, I told her to put that right on the back panel of my casket. I want everybody that walks by my still body to see that message by one sacrifice. I'm not counting in my legalistic ways. I'm counting on Christ alone. I'm counting on his one sacrifice alone to get me there. And toward the end of the conversation, he said to me, Mark, have you ever read the Koran? I said, no, sir, I have not read the Koran. He said, well, you know, um, there are more Muslims in this world than there are Christians. And I said something like, well, that may be the case. But the problem with the Koran is that Jesus, our power of attorney, is not recognized as the sacrifice of God. I don't know what this guy's going to do with that information. Maybe he's Muslim. He hasn't told me, right? Not knowing if I would lose the sale or not, I said to him, I said, friend, I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. Jesus said, I am the way, not one of many ways. And it was just, I mean, shortly after that, he transferred me to his office manager who kindly gave me the credit card for the purchase. And you know what she said when she came on the phone? She said, I don't know what you did to convince him to buy this furnace. He is a tough guy to sell. Everyone struggles to convince him to buy their product. And as I was meditating on those words last night, I couldn't help but think, perhaps this is what the reason was that Jesus only healed one man at the pool of Bethesda when there were hundreds of impotent, sick, blind, lame people laying there. There would have been hundreds, maybe thousands. Why would Jesus just heal one? Friends, I have decided in my heart that when religion paints me into a corner or when religion lays me beside the pool of Bethesda, I'm going to follow the promptings of the advocate of my soul. 
regardless of the cost. I can't speak for those people at the pool of Bethesda. Perhaps Jesus recognized that ultimately this man would have faith. It took faith. Nobody, nobody in the existence of the pool of Bethesda had been healed that way. And so when Jesus said, do you want to get well? It penetrated his heart like it did Nicodemus that night when he came to see him. And faith began to blossom in his heart. Friends, when our feelings and our emotions and our excuses are at large, it's a great time to invite Jesus our power of attorney into our situation. In fact, invite him before so you don't find yourself in that situation. Guess what he'll do? He'll make perfect decisions. He'll speak perfect peace over your situation, all your issues of life. We have to reach beyond our tough guy to sell mindsets. We must speak grace and truth. And like Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, we must be ready to love the legalistic. We must be ready to love the paralytic. We must be ready to love the cricket and the critic. Friends, we must be willing to unzip the veil of legalism so that others may see through the eyes of grace. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. As believers, we are incapable of making perfect decisions, speaking perfect words, and thinking perfect thoughts 100% of the time. More rules are not going to be a help. More laws not going to help you. We need Jesus, our power of attorney, to help us in those times to make right decisions, to say right things. If we'll just pause for a moment when we're about to say something, there'll be times where you'll hear the Holy Spirit say, don't say anything at all. Or He'll change it up where it's a total different message than what was about to come out of your mouth. We must be willing to listen. Do you remember the hypothetical man that went on the journey to visit the 52 churches? 52 very different denominations over the course of one year? Well, no doubt he would have ended up confused and legalistic. He would have had about as much success in life as a blind man painting by numbers, and he would have been as winded as a balloon-sculpting clown with emphysema. Jesus said, but the Advocate, come on, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you, come on, He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. That means you can trust Him. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears and He will tell you what is yet 
to come. You don't have it all figured out. There's things that are yet to come, and He's going to show you those things. He is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is our convincer. He is our fruit bearer, and He is our guide. He is the one that teaches us all things, and He is the one who leads us into all truth and righteousness. Friends, legalism has its subtleties. That means it's under the radar. You don't even recognize it. And then it has its flagrancies where it means it's over the top. It's so obvious. So it's both subtle and flagrant. Legalism colludes with the attitudes, like I said, of because I said so. We tried that once before. It just won't work. Legalism will leave you beside the pool of Bethesda and put a label on you that is not compatible with the message that Jesus spoke into Nicodemus' heart. What was that message again? Let me think here for a second. Oh, yes. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, the crickets may continue to chirp. The critics may continue to be critical. The flowers may continue to fall. And legalism may continue to loiter. But Jesus, our power of attorney, will walk with us every step of the journey. He is the faithful one. He is the one who opens the Scriptures. He is the one that opens our minds so that we can understand the Scriptures. If we allow Him, that's the key. If we allow Him, He will disrupt our existing paradigms, and He will break bread with us so that He can reveal Himself as our risen Savior. Friends, may I draw our attentions back to the encounter of Jesus with the 38-year invalid lying beside the pool of Bethesda. What did Jesus ask the man? He asked him, do you want to get well? Do you decide to get well? Can you set aside your 38-year indoctrinations? Can you set aside your 38-year disappointments? Can you set aside your 38 years of excuses? In other words, are you ready? Are you willing to put the voice of the Lord over what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day? If so, Jesus said, Rise! Take up thy bed and walk. Now, I have something for us to ponder. If Jesus would do such a thing, such an act of grace to a man that had no idea of who Jesus even was, then how much more will his acts of kindnesses be toward the ones who live in the house of grace? 
How much more will Jesus make decisions for them that were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ? A lamb without defect, a lamb spotless, a lamb without blemish. Friends, may I have the privilege, may I have the honor, may I have the the absolute joy of introducing Jesus Womenda Potenzawi Advocat. In case that was a little too complicated, let me introduce Jesus, our power of attorney, the one who makes perfect decisions on our behalf. Father, I thank You so much as this series comes to a close today. There's so much food in here. We could go back for leftovers. We can go back for more and more helpings. I'm reminded when you fed the 5,000 on the hill, when everybody was satisfied, you instructed the disciples to gather the fragments. Father, there are so many people out there with fragmented hearts and fragmented minds, and we've just gathered them in with your word. We thank you, Father, that we speak life into their hearts. We thank you, Father, that we speak joy into their hearts. We speak hope into their dark places. And we draw them out of their legalistic ways. There is no freedom there. You cannot be free living like that. And so, Father, we thank you that you have put us in green pastures where we experience perfect peace. Perfect peace. We thank you, Father, that we're not left on our own, but we have the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the one who guides us into all truth and righteousness. And so, Father, we thank you that he is helping us to make decisions, perfect decisions on our behalf. But there has to be agreement. There has to be a collusion that we agree with the Holy Spirit that what he says is what is best. So help us to lay aside all of our indoctrination and not run ahead of you, but to listen to the sweet holy sound of the Spirit. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Father, that your arms are always outstretched for us, gathering us in like a hen would gather her chicks. I'm so grateful for you, Father. I'm so thankful for you. Now, I pray that this word would fall into the jet stream of the internet and that people would hear it and they would just be set so free. They would be set at such liberty. Thank you, Father, for the calling on my life to preach the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.